Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collings, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 69 of the podcast. Today, we're talking about the Stargate Universe episode, Incursion Part 2. The description on Gateworld reads, When Colonel Young and Kiva grapple over control of the ship, a pulsar threatens everyone on board Destiny with deadly radiation. This episode was written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully. It was directed by Andy Makita, and it first aired on the 11th of June 2010. If you remember, the last episode ended with a negotiation for a prisoner exchange between Young's crew and Kiva's Lucian Alliance. The exchange is going ahead. Young and Kiva are meeting personally to make it happen. But Young is not planning on making an exchange. He ordered his people to make quick kills. If a man as honourable as Young is planning a double cross, what can we expect from Kiva? Well, she brings TJ along. Young is offering Greer in exchange for TJ, claiming he's also a medic. Nice way to try to get one of your soldiers behind enemy lines, assuming that Kiva takes the deal. But before anything can happen, the power goes out. Young tells TJ to get behind him, but Kiva says if she takes one step, she's dead. Kiva no doubt assumes that the power cut was caused by Young and his people. Greer has a shot. He can take Kiva out right now. It might be a good idea. Cut the head off the snake and all that. But her people have orders to kill all hostages if she's killed. In the end, nothing really comes of it all. Kiva retreats away with TJ. I have to say, I admire Greer's self-control. He's got the shot and he desperately wants to take it, but he waits for Young's order. And Young says no. And that's the kind of discipline that soldiers have. Kiva is really upset about the power cut. In her words, they surprised us. In retaliation for this perceived slight, she shoots and kills one of the hostages. Rivers. It sends a powerful message to Young. Now, podcasters like me often talk about different categories of villains. There's the villains that you love to hate. They're not good people, in fact they're really bad people, but they're so well written and well performed that it's always a delight when they show up in an episode. They're desperately evil, but they have a charm to them. Good examples of these are Bester from Babylon 5 and Wayun from Deep Space Nine. Then there's others that you just don't want to see. You want them to die because you don't want to see them. Nerissa from Star Trek Picard was an example of this category for me. I'd have been delighted if she died on that Borg cube and never returned later in the season. And that's nothing against the actor, by the way. My problem with Nerissa was more about the writing and the character herself. But I think there's a third category. Villains that are very well portrayed but they are just so darn evil that you desperately want them to pay for their crimes. The sight of them brings up the strong desire for justice inside you. You don't want these characters to have a redemption arc, no matter how much you believe in forgiveness in real life. You just want these characters to die, not because you don't want to see them, but because they're evil and you want them to pay. Kiva sits firmly in this third category for me. Wonderfully written, beautifully performed, but man, I want her to die. <laughs> Eli and Chloe are still sitting and resting, lost in an unexplored part of the ship. 
the previous episode has set these two up for some nice character interaction this time around. They're speculating on what Young will do with the bad guys, assuming and hoping that it's all over by now. And the good guys have won. And you know what? Let's let them have that fantasy, because they're going through a lot themselves. But rest time is over. Eli picks Chloe up and continues to carry her around. I always liked the Eli and Chloe stuff in this episode, because we got to see new parts of the ship. In this scene, they're surrounded by all these glowy yellow column things. It's pretty cool. That's the cool thing about Destiny. Even the character's home base is worthy of exploration. That was a nice feature of Stargate Atlantis as well. There were just as many wonders to be discovered in the city as there were on alien planets through the Stargate. Sometimes more. Young has a moment when he turns into what I like to call the grumpy, naive manager. He wants the power fixed. He doesn't care that they don't know the cause. He doesn't appreciate the difficulty and uncertainty the scientists are facing. He just wants what he wants. Of course, he realises within a few seconds that he's being unreasonable, and for good reason. He's feeling the emotional weight of River's death. Probably a lot of guilt, too. Rush says, well, it had to be someone. And that really gets Young going. The others have to hold him back from ripping Rush to pieces. Yes, Rush, we get it. We're glad that it wasn't Chloe or Eli or TJ. But you just don't say stuff like that. Rivers was a person with loved ones and dreams. I don't know who Rivers was. I don't even know if it was a man or a woman. But Rivers mattered. And somebody out there will be just as upset that Rivers is dead as you would be if Chloe or Eli were dead. Kiva has sent one of her people to help TJ. His name is Koz. And that's really all I have to say about this character for the entire episode. Camille raises an interesting point. There's another way out of this situation that Young hasn't considered, and is programmed to never consider. They could surrender. They could let Kiva and her people have the ship. What's so great about this ship anyway, she asks. It's not like any of them are actually here on purpose. Or maybe Rush. What would be so bad about letting Kiva run the ship? Young points out one good reason. Kiva would kill any of them who aren't useful to her. And that would mean most of the crew. But would you really want to live under the rule and control of a person like Kiva? I know I sure wouldn't. It's at this moment that Kiva calls, wanting to talk to Camille, who she calls the civilian. In Kiva's mind, Young has proven untrustworthy by planning an ambush. It's interesting that Camille admits she voiced objection to Young's plan but couldn't stop him. It weakens the assertion she made last episode that, in our culture, the military answer to civilian authorities. She used that line to convince Kiva that she could get things done. Despite all of this, Kiva is willing to give Camille a chance. She wants to negotiate the original offer with a modification. Four people for four people, plus food and water for three days. Camille wants to ensure the food and water will be offered to the hostages. Kiva knows that the hostages are no good to her dead. The deal is on. The power cuts out right when TJ is in the middle of surgery. That's not good. Brody has figured out there is a pattern to the power cuts. It's being caused by a binary pulsar, it's giving off radiation as it rotates. Every 46 minutes, the pulsar passes by a red dwarf, 
throwing off a bunch of extra material. The ship has to divert extra power to the shields to protect itself, which is why the power goes out. The Lucian Alliance just happened to dial in at a really bad time, causing Destiny to drop out of FTL in range of this thing. And because Destiny hasn't jumped back into FTL, the Pulsar is going to kill them all soon. I love it when Dr. Park says to Young, don't yell, we don't know why yet. I love it that amongst all of this shooting and negotiating, which is compelling in its own way, we've still got quite a lot of sci-fi mysteries going on in this episode as well. There's the power cuts, which we've just answered, but there's also the ship's inability to jump, and that weird dissolving thing that happened to someone last time. Camille shares the latest information with Kiva. It makes sense. Telford goes in to check on TJ. He brings her up to speed about the Pulsar. TJ doesn't think Kiva will let Young's people solve the problem. Telford says he'll try to convince her. There's something we haven't really talked about yet. Telford is now on the ship, in person. Now we've seen him on board lots of times before, but it's always been with the stones. Last episode was the first time his actual body came into the ship. And this will become a new status quo going forward into next season. Which I think is pretty cool. If there's one thing I like in TV shows, it's mixing up the status quo. So far, Camille is playing this by the book, doing exactly what she told Kiva she would do. Kiva shows up with two hostages, not four. And then, the two dead bodies are dragged in. That makes four. And I thought that I couldn't hate Kiva anymore. And she won't let go of TJ either. Camille accepts the trade and fails to convince Kiva they should be working together to find a unique solution that everyone can live with. Scott is surprised that Chloe and Eli were not among the hostages returned. Kiva said these were the only civilians that she had in custody. Apparently everyone was assuming that Chloe and Eli were among the hostages. A reasonable assumption. But if they weren't with Kiva, where are they? Finally, their absence has been noticed, but it's not like the crew have a lot of spare time to mount a search right now. Greer knows that Eli would take a bullet before he lets anyone lay a hand on Chloe, and I love that he recognises that. Scott marvels at Greer's ability to trust that his commanding officer will do the right thing at the right time. Greer's answer, you need to learn. It's funny, but in some ways, Greer is actually a better soldier than Scott. Greer knows how to turn that professionalism on. Scott sometimes struggles with it. The way Scott questions things can definitely be a good thing, but sometimes it gets in the way of him doing what needs to be done. One of the, Lucian's, one of the Lucian Alliance patients tells TJ it must be hard to save the life of an enemy. TJ quickly points out this isn't the case. She'd have helped him even if Kiva hadn't forced her to. Because that's what a doctor does or a medic in TJ's case. But let's face it, with all that she's done since she's got here, I think she deserves to be called a doctor. Eli makes a crack about this being the kind of exercise that motivates him, carrying a wounded person through the ship in low oxygen. Chloe tells Eli he's a good friend. After nearly getting sucked out a hallway with a hull breach, they take another rest amongst some very cool alien tech. And this is the character scene we've been building towards for some time. Chloe has made a realisation about friendship. 
since meeting Eli. She used to think she had a lot of friends, but she doesn't. Eli points out that they're still her friends no matter how far away they are. But it's not that. She's realised that those so-called friends don't really care about her, and she is now able to honestly admit that she doesn't really care about any of them either. Eli's, that's nice, It was a very amusing moment. <laughs> but until she met Eli, she didn't know what a friend was. This is really important, and she wants Eli to hear this. A real friend is someone who you know will support you. Someone like Eli. Chloe is pouring her heart out to him, trying to tell him what his friendship means to her, how much she loves him. Not in a romantic way, of course. And this is the last thing Eli wants to hear, because he's attracted to her. He always has been. And she knows, and he knows that she knows. But Chloe says something that stops him in his track. Every time I try to say something like this to you, you act as if I've awarded you some runner-up prize, and it's not. It's a great scene. It takes the whole dynamic between them to a new level. It takes it out of the traditional love triangle trope, and we're all tired of that, and completely subverts it. Eli needs to hear this. He needs to understand the value of what he and Chloe have. He needs to know how much it means to her, and how much that she values him. And he takes it on board. And honestly, after this, they'll move into a different new kind of relationship, going into season two. And while in the past I really wanted Eli and Chloe to be together instead of Scott and Chloe, I've always really appreciated this moment. I think I like it so much because Hollywood has a tendency to devalue friendship, or just fail to value it. They always want to make everything romantic or sexual. But not every relationship needs to be romantic or sexual. Friendship is important and valuable. And this is when Eli notices a console that has power. The pulsar hits again. Rush has an idea. They don't have to shield the whole ship, just the side that's being hit by the pulsar. If they shield less of the ship, it may have a chance to build up enough power reserves to take them back into FDL and out of danger. So that's why the ship hasn't gone into FDL. Makes a lot of sense. But they can't alter the shielding from this part of the ship. Somebody needs to take a walk to another part of the ship. Of course, there's a problem they don't realise. What's the bet that Chloe and Eli are not in the part of the ship that they plan to shield? And there's yet another problem. In order to get where they need to go to do the work, they need to go through an access point controlled by Kiva. She needs to let them in. She'll do that once Camille gives control of the entire ship to her. If these two parties don't cooperate, everyone will die. But one side is going to have to surrender to the other. So who is going to cave? But Telford has a plan. He tells Young to surrender as Kiva wants, but let Rush and Brody get away. When opportunity presents itself, Telford will give control back to Rush. It could work, as long as Telford can be trusted. But at this point, I think they've all decided they can. They have to. Just before they can put their plan into action, they get a message from Eli. This will be Rush's problem to deal with. Kiva now has control of the ship, and Young's people are herded in. Telford is sabotaging stuff now. One of the power relays is down. 
This gives him an excuse to relieve the person manning the doors. He can give authorization back to Rush, who can take back control when he's ready. Greer and Scott are on the hull. They've found what they're looking for, and they go about their work. Kiva walks in on Telford and sees what he's doing. There's a great moment where they both draw guns and fire, but you don't see the outcome. It builds suspense. But then Rush says the transfer of control has stopped. That means bad news. That suggests Kiva has killed Telford and has stopped what he was doing. But when we cut back to them, both Kiva and Telford are lying on the floor in pools of blood. The Lucian Alliance people assume this means that one of Young's people shot them both. Which means Young has soldiers on the loose. A reasonable assumption given he doesn't know Telford was working for the good guys. And Scott and Greer can't get back inside the ship because the shield has come back online now. We're building toward an exciting climax here. Everything is going into overdrive. Only the Lucian Alliance people can lower the shield. So Kiva didn't prevent the transfer of control to Rush. But I guess in order for the transfer to complete, Telford needed to keep pushing buttons? I don't know. Rush is trying to figure out another way to get Scott and Greer inside. They've found an airlock in an unexpected part of the ship. They can't open it, but maybe Eli can. Eli sends a message to explain where Chloe is and runs off to save the day. But he's acting like he's going to die and will never see Chloe again. He practically says his last goodbyes to her. And that's really scaring her. The show is getting very exciting at this point and the music really sells it. Brody doesn't think they can make it in time. Eli sprints down the hallway while Scott and Rhea run as best they can in spacesuits on the hull of a spaceship. A firefight breaks out in the medical bay and TJ is shot. I'm horrified as I see the blood soaking her shirt around her belly. Do I even need to say any more? We'll have to wait until season two to find out what's going on with her. But at this point, we're probably assuming she's dead. And if not, well, there's no way her baby could have survived that wound. And that's unspeakably horrific. But we'll talk about this in the next episode. Lucian Alliance soldiers storm in and hold all of Young's people at gunpoint, and the lights flicker. This has got to be one of the most powerful season cliffhangers Stargate has ever done. Young has had to give in and surrender all of his people to a monster, because if he didn't, everyone on the ship would be dead. And that's season one of Stargate Universe. We did it. 20 episodes. That's the longest season I've covered so far on Nerd Heaven. But obviously we're not done. We'll be right back into season two of Stargate Universe shortly. But before we do that, I'll be taking a brief detour to cover Zack Snyder's Justice League to round up my coverage of the DC Extended Universe. I did a quick review of the Snyder Cut a while back as a bonus episode, but this will be a full detailed analysis. After that, we'll launch right back into Stargate Universe. There's some truly great stuff still to come, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. Don't forget, you can actually get a free sci-fi story of mine by signing up to my mailing list at adamdavidcollings.com free. It's a prequel to my Jewel of the Stars series, 
but it's very much a standalone. It tells the story of first contact between Earth and aliens, and it uh, very much features an Australian spaceship, the, the Australian Space Navy. So I, I find that really cool. Anyway, lots more to come, but until then, take care, live long and prosper, make it so.